Coming to you live from the Cross Country Mortgage Campus in Berea, Ohio, this is Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by Ballybeck. Coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Here are your hosts, Bo Bishop and Nathan Zagura. Good afternoon and welcome to Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by Ballybet. Nathan Zagura alongside Jason Gibbs, but just for a little bit, just for a little bit, because folks, it's a big day in Berea. That's why I am not on vacation. I am here right now with you. It has been reported that the Browns have named Jim Schwartz their next defensive coordinator. And Gibbe, we knew that this was something that was coming down. The Browns conducted a good number of interviews, I believe four in total, for the defensive coordinator position. Schwartz was the first. First to interview with the team. He gets the nod, and for Schwartz, in many ways, this is a homecoming. Jim Schwartz started his NFL career 29 years ago as a member of the Browns personnel department in 1993 to 1995, and now he is back with the Browns as the defensive coordinator. Schwartz, of course, has been a defensive coordinator before. He was a defensive coordinator of the Tennessee Titans from 2001 to 2008. He was a defensive coordinator of the Buffalo Bills in 2014, and he was a defensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles from 2016 to 2020 including their 2017 Super Bowl season. He's also been a head coach, was the head coach of the Detroit Lions from 2009 to 2013, leading them to the playoffs in 2011. This will be his 15th season as a defensive coordinator in the NFL, so he absolutely has experience. He's got the pedigree of being a former head coach, but also somebody who has coordinated defenses at a very, very high level, including, as I mentioned, that defense that allowed the Eagles and helped the Eagles win the Super Bowl ultimately with a backup quarterback in Nick Foles who filled in for Carson Wentz. In the playoffs that year, the defense allowed 10 points in the divisional round, 7 points in the NFC Championship, and they got it done against the Patriots that season for the Super Bowl win. So Jim Schwartz is in. He joins the staff now. You've got Kevin Stefanski, the head coach. You've got the offensive coordinator, Alex Van Pelder, though Kevin Stefanski has him now, still calling plays, and I don't expect that to change when I say as him now. Jim Schwartz will be the man running the Browns defense. Give me just your kind of initial reaction to this news. 25 years coaching in the NFL, defensive coordinator. He's fiery. Yes. Likes to get the most out of his defensive linemen, especially on the edge. And he's had a lot of success with that defensive tackle position. His defense has come to play week in and week out. I think it's a great hire for this football team. Again, reportedly, we're waiting on official word from the team. But uh, as of now, looks like he's going to be our defensive coordinator. And you got to be happy about it. In 2019, spent a year with Browns GM Andrew Barry in Philly when A.B. was under uh, Howie Roseman. Uh, but the guy's been everywhere, and he's had success everywhere he's been. Even even that Lions job when he, when he was the head coach, yeah. you, you take a look. He went 29-51, but he did take him to the playoffs to snap an 11-year playoff drought, 10-6. Yeah, the, the team he inherited had gone 0-16 yeah. before he took over there. Uh, the last two years, he's been the senior defensive assistant for the Tennessee Titans, working under Mike Vrabel. That's been a team that's had a very strong defense, obviously going to the playoffs. Um a couple of years ago, 
This is an opportunity for Jim Schwartz, though, to get back to that level he was with the Philadelphia Eagles when, as I said, he led that defense and that team to a Super Bowl win. And so you've got experience, as you pointed out. He is fiery. You go back in, you can find some of his stuff as a head coach there. You can find some of his, his clips as a defense coordinator. He is fiery. He likes to run an aggressive, wide nine, kind of 4-3 attacking front, which should suit Miles Garrett very well and suit our personnel. He has been great with defensive tackles in the past. Albert Hainsworth in Tennessee and Dominican Sue in Detroit, Fletcher Cox in Philadelphia. So I would imagine that will be a position and a point of big emphasis for this Browns team this offseason to get Jim Schwartz the kind of player that he likes in the middle of his defense to really help kind of make this thing go. So that's something to keep an eye on there. But if you wanted a veteran, you wanted somebody with a proven track record, you wanted somebody who's got, as we said, a wealth of experience, he's got leadership capabilities, he's done it as a head coach, he's done it as a defensive coordinator. Again, this is his 15th season as a defensive coordinator and he's got that relationship. That's an important thing. He knows Andrew Barry from their time together. Andrew Barry knows him and so this is a team that you hope now can kind of take that next level. It was the defense in the early portion of the season that kind of struggled for the Browns this year. You're hoping that Jim Schwartz can erase that. He can get this team better against the run and of course get this team getting after the quarterback which is something that has been a hallmark of every single stop that he's been. When he was with the Bills in 2014 they finished first with 54 sacks when he was with the Eagles there uh, in his five seasons there they averaged they were seventh in sacks in the league 208 and so this is something that's that's a staple of what he does and that's what you hope he brings here to this team stop the run get him in obvious passing situations and then go get after the quarterback and not only that but in their in the Super Bowl winning season with the Eagles in 2017 fourth fourth most takeaways in the, in the National Football League. So we're making a big deal about what they do on, on the defensive line and at the edge rusher position, but he's gotten a lot out of his secondary as well. Yeah, he's been, he's been a successful defensive coordinator. Yeah. You don't get to last – you know, this is going to be his 15th season as a defensive coordinator. That doesn't happen unless, of course, you have had success in this league. And that is something that he has had. And so that's what the Browns are looking for. That's what they are looking for, a defense that is consistent, a defense that is disruptive, a defense that gets after the quarterback and takes the football away. And if that is what Jim Schwartz can bring, then this is a team that once again can get to the top, a team that can get to the playoffs and be a team of consequence, challenge for this division. It's something that we have needed and unfortunately the Browns felt a change needed to be made at that defensive coordinator spot after the defense kind of took a step back this year and so in comes Jim Schwartz so this is going to be I think it's going to be fun. He is fiery. I think there will be uh, it will not be dull certainly in the press conferences. I don't think it will be dull on the practice field as well. So Jim Schwartz, welcome to the Browns. And now I guess it's really time to get to work and talk to the personnel department and make a lot of decisions. We have a lot of decisions that need to be made on the defensive side of the ball in terms of who's staying, who's coming back, what we want to address. And now I think it's good, though, that they got the head start on this. They've got their defensive coordinator today, middle of January. And now they have all that time leading up. you got probably two months, basically, until free agency to get that all sorted out and go into the draft and have a plan, having your scheme in place, knowing what that's going to look like. Yeah, and there's a lot to determine. I mean, right now, Miles Garrett's back at the edge rusher position, but that's clearly a, a position you're going to need another couple bodies. You know, yep. Alex Wright, obviously, is back. Defensive line, that defensive tackle position. How are we going to address that? Linebackers. I mean, we, we lost – five, six linebackers here in 2022. Got to figure that position out as well. 
And then you've got a deep secondary. And how do you make the most and take advantage of their opportunities and their talents? Yeah, there's going to be decisions that need to be made, you know, really at all three levels of this defense. As you pointed out, it feels highly unlikely that Jadevian Clowney will be back with the Cleveland Browns. Feels yeah. like that might be a mutual thing there. <laughs> you've got Chase Winovich. Could he be somebody you brought back? I thought he played well at the end of the year. He fits this in terms of being able to kind of stand up, get wide, and then get after the quarterback, and I thought played well against the run. You mentioned Alex Wright, Isaiah Thomas, but they will look to buttress that position, no doubt, to give Miles an every down running mate. You hope Alex Wright can become that, and he played well, I thought, against the run as a rookie, but we need to see him more of him getting after the quarterback. And then second level, you mentioned Sione Taki Taki, a decision to be made there. I uh, certainly would love to see him back. I know he wants to be back. You know, decision on Anthony Walker Jr. Does he come back to this team? I know he certainly wants to as well, uh, which would be a good thing. And then in the defensive backfield, you know, there are some decisions to be made. Greedy Williams will be a free agent, um, but for the most part, it's going to be how do we get the most out of what we have? As you mentioned, a very talented group with Emerson, with Newsom, with Ward, with Delpit and John Johnson as your starting five. And then it's going to be about finding the depth behind that and kind of changing those things around into the mold that, that Jim Schwartz wants. But this is, you know, he's well-versed. He's been around in teams that have played multiple styles of front up front, you know, and with the Lions and obviously with the Eagles, you had the four down linemen with the Titans. You've seen some of that kind of would be a five man front, which would be kind of the three interior guys and then two stand up guys on the outside getting after the quarterback so he will have the ability to be scheme wise to be multiple for this Browns defense and, and you know I think that's a good thing that's what you're always looking for um, probably will play a, a little bit more man I would think than what we have seen in the past um, but he's aggressive he likes to get after the quarterback and, and I think that will be a welcome thing for the Browns now Joe Woods was aggressive and it's unfortunate that it didn't work out the way that that it did you know because Obviously, we all like Joe around this building. We've seen flashes of that defense being what it was, but the hope is now with a guy like Jim Schwartz coming in that you can get that kind of consistency that you're looking for. Yeah, and that's what it comes down to. I mean, week in, week out, we've got to be good right from the get-go. I think the other big thing with this, he's aggressive defensively. I can't wait to see what it looks like in training camp You know, because he's going to go after Deshaun Watson. It's all about getting – the offense ready to go as well. And I think the better the defense is in training camp, the better prepared the offense is going to be when we kick things off in September. Yeah, you want to have a competitive training camp. And, you know, I think a lot of people have talked about, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, discipline, leadership, I think Jim Schwartz will bring that kind of Accountability. discipline. Accountability. Look, we saw it with Greg Williams. He's not Greg Williams. He's not going to be – that there's not fire and brimstone intense but he will be I think it will be a much more intense style than what this group of guys has become accustomed to the last few years and I think that's good I think this team needs a little bit uh, of fire and certainly you hope that Jim Schwartz brings that to the Cleveland Browns so Jim Schwartz first to interview Gets the job. Obviously impressed the Cleveland Browns brass. Now, don't forget, he interviewed for the head coaching job back in 2020, the job that ultimately went to Kevin Stefanski. He has been here a few times, and I know that on his way out of the building last time, he said, let's not do this anymore. Let's not do these interviews anymore. The Browns said, you know what, Jim? You're right. You're hired. Jim Schwartz now, the defensive coordinator for the Cleveland Browns. (laughs) Reportedly. Well, I'm pretty sure it's going to become official. Something tells me it will be. Pay attention to the scores, folks. Pay attention to the scores. All right, so that's how we're kicking it off here today. I'm going to turn it over to Gibbe for the rest of the way here. But big news, Jim Schwartz, 
Next defensive coordinator, the Cleveland Browns. We got a loaded lineup for you here today. Gerard Cherry at 1.30, Browns Radio Network analyst. 2 o'clock, Nick Shook from the NFL Network. And 2.30, Browns.com writer Anthony Poizel joins us as well to talk about the news of the day. Jim Schwartz, next defensive coordinator of the Cleveland Browns. We'll be back with more Cleveland Browns Daily brought to you by BallyBet coming soon to Ohio right here on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Cleveland Browns Daily brought to you by BallyBet. Coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. There's a new way to cheer on your Cleveland Browns with the help of your favorite four-legged companion, Barking Backers. Presented by Milkbone is the Browns' newest club for pet parents worldwide. Sign up today at BarkingBackers.com. Barking Backers. The fan club for dogs and a happy Tuesday afternoon to everyone from Berea and the Cross Country Mortgage Campus. I'm Jason Gibbs. Zagura on his way to the airport on assignment for a few days. Bishop wakes up under the weather. Hopefully he's feeling better here as the week goes on because 24 hours from now, I'm on an airplane. But good news, the Browns reportedly have a defensive coordinator, Jim Schwartz. Uh, reportedly will become the next Browns signal caller on defense. The last couple years, a senior defensive assistant with the Tennessee Titans. And, uh, boy, did some good things with Tennessee. Has spent a lot of time with Tennessee, 12 years to be exact, uh, working with Mike Vrabel. Uh, in 2022, the Titans finished first in the NFL uh, in run defense. 76.9 yards per game, first with 3.4 yards per carry. They were third in allowing third-down conversions at 34%. All areas that the Browns could definitely uh, need a little work on and need a little improvement. And if Jim Schwartz is indeed the guy, which all indications are he is, he will be the new defensive coordinator for your Cleveland Browns. Again, just reportedly waiting for official word from down the hall here at the Cross Country Mortgage Campus. In 2019, you heard uh, Zagur and I talk about it, spent a year with Brown's GM, Andrew Barry. He was the vice president of football operations under Howie Roseman. He was a candidate for the Browns head coaching gig in 2020 when Kevin Stefanski got the job. So, uh, look, excited. You know, Joe Woods did an admirable job. But at the same time, the organization felt they needed to go in a different direction. They have. They picked Jim Schwartz, and we'll see how things play out here as we get into the 2023 NFL season. Still a lot going on in 2022-23 as the march to the playoffs officially underway. And, boy, quite the weekend uh, around the National Football League on the field as well as off the field. Uh Hopefully you were watching on Saturday night. Uh, just a fantastic night. Uh, the 49ers got a nice scare from Seattle before dominating in the second half to win 41-23. The Jaguars down 30 to nothing. 30 to nothing. Come back and win 31 to 30. They take out the Chargers, and the Chargers have been busy today. They have fired offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi and quarterback coach Shane Day following Saturday's collapse. Uh, that is from NFL Network insider Tom Pelissero. We go to Sunday. 
I think everybody uh, on this radio show thought that the Bills were just going to go out there and blow out the Miami Dolphins. Credit Skylar Thompson and Mike McDaniel and his staff and that Miami Dolphin team. They gave the Buffalo Bills everything and then some, falling just short, 34-31, to 31, the final score in that football game. Also on Sunday, I believe we have this, Giants taking care of the Vikings, 31-24. to 24. I have no idea what Kirk Cousins was doing on fourth down and eight, throwing a two-yard pass, but that's where we are in uh, the season, and that's why Minnesota will be watching on their couch the rest of the season. Uh, and then Sunday night football, again, a game that no Lamar Jackson, he's out for the rest of the year. What Ravens team are we going to get? Is Huntley going to play? We think he's going to play, but he's only going to be 80%. Well, 80% was almost enough to beat the Cincinnati Bengals as the Bengals knock off the Ravens 24-17. to Sam Hubbard with one of the most amazing plays that you will ever see. Uh, officiated the right way. that They made the right call. Uh, Huntley never got close to the goal line. And Hubbard, the ball gets punched out. Hubbard takes it, goes the length of the field, and that is the difference in the football game. And then last night, the game that we thought was going to be the best game of the weekend was arguably the worst. Matter of fact, it was the worst. Dallas takes care of Tampa Bay 31-14, and now the questions, Tom Brady, what's going to happen? There are reports this morning uh, that Byron Leftwich is going to be out as offensive coordinator. Could he end up going to Pittsburgh? We've seen that today. Um, Again, nothing official on Byron Leftwich yet, but it appears Leftwich could be on his way out in Tampa as, as the fall guy, but I, I don't know if that means anything to Tom Brady, frankly. Um, Brady had never thrown a red zone interception, uh, in, in, I think, in a playoff game in the last like four or five years. Throws a pick. Uh, they had some chances at the end of the game. Couldn't get it done. Uh, just couldn't make plays. Receivers dropping balls, and they couldn't run the ball. Fournette, I think, had five carries for 11 yards. Just an ugly game, yet... Maybe the coming out party for the Dallas Cowboys. We saw what the Dallas Cowboys could really be, and, and they took care of their business, and, and now it sets up a unbelievable divisional round weekend, especially on Sunday. Saturday, eh, it's okay. Sunday is where it's at. Saturday, Jaguars-Chiefs, 4.30. Saturday night, the Eagles host the New York football Giants. So a little interdivision there, a little NFC East action, and we'll see if the Giants can keep up their hot streak. Saquon Barkley, look at Daniel Jones. Where did that come from? Games like that will get you paid there, buddy. Uh, we go to Sunday, and Sunday uh, is the lineup of lineups. 3 o'clock, Bills hosting the Bengals. Bengals not pleased to go to Buffalo. Uh, I believe they might have been cheering for Miami more than Miami Dolphin fans were cheering uh, over the weekend. And then to wrap things up and the weekend, Cowboys, 49ers, Sunday night at 6.30. Can't ask for a whole lot more than that. All right, as we go around the NFL landscape, I mentioned the Chargers uh, possibly uh, on the look for a few coaches. Now, uh, it is indeed the case they have fired offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi and quarterback coach Shane Day. In addition, um, it looks like Tampa Bay could be on the lookout for an offensive coordinator as well. Tampa Bay, uh, a scary moment. I'm sure a lot of people turned the game off, but again, had a a moment on the field, an injury. 
Uh, wide receiver Russell Gage had to be carted off at the end of the night. It was one of those situations where, again, you saw Joe Buck and the ESPN crew had to go to timeout. They came back. They had to go to timeout again. They had to go to timeout a third time. And now you're worried about what's going on on the field, and you could hear a pin drop. And, you know, a lot of players wide-eyed and, and just kind of going, oh, no, not again. Uh, Russell Gage did suffer a serious neck injury and a concussion late in last night's game. Uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers putting out today, he does have movement in all his extremities, will continue to undergo further tests today after spending the night at a local hospital. Uh, former Cardinals head coach Cliff Kingsbury, I believe we had him in the former category as we started the year, as a guy who would end up there. He buys a one-way plane ticket to Thailand and has declined all coaching inquiries from teams, according to Fox Sports senior national writer and Good Morning Football host Peter Schrager. I would probably do the same thing if I was making what he was for the next four years. Yeah, he's under contract till 2027. Uh, the Cardinals are at least paying him, let's put it that way, through 2027. Michigan head coach to the college ranks, Jim Harbaugh, planning to return to the program next season despite receiving interest from multiple NFL teams. Uh, that was confirmed by the University of Michigan's president in a tweet yesterday. Um, he did call a couple teams that had he had met with to tell them he was going back to Michigan. Uh, something to see there, but Harbaugh back at Michigan. Uh, the other Harbaugh dealing with a mess in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson and a team that players are lobbying for Lamar to come back. J.K. Dobbins had to clarify some comments where – he originally said it appeared that he said, well, we would have won had Lamar been a quarterback. Well, eh, maybe. I don't know. The Bengals, pretty good. Daniel Snyder also reportedly nearing the sale of the commanders. Josh Harris, owner of the 76ers and New Jersey Devils, appears to be the top candidate per NBC Washington commanders insider J.P. Finlay. So something to monitor there. Uh, with Daniel Snyder and a possible sale. Uh, wow, that would be a big one. And, and an owner that then would own an NBA team, an NHL team, and an NFL team. Congratulations on all of your successes, if that indeed comes to fruition. We'll take a quick time out. When we come back, we start the Parade of Stars. Browns Radio Network Analyst and Co-Host on the Next Level with Emmett Golden right here on 850 ESPN Cleveland. He joins the program to give us his thoughts on Jim Schwartz, and we'll take one thought around all of the weekend's games in a wacky wild card weekend. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet, coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Cleveland Browns Daily brought to you by BallyBet. Coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. We welcome you back into a football Tuesday edition of Cleveland Browns Daily brought to you by BallyBet. I'm Jason Gibbs. We heard from Nathan Zagura already coming up later on in the program at 2 o'clock. NFL analyst Nick Shook from the NFL Network at 2.30. Staff writer Anthony Poizal from your Cleveland Browns will join us as well. It is a news-filled day here at the Cross Country Mortgage Campus. 
reportedly waiting for the team an official announcement uh, that could come later, later this week, today, tomorrow. I don't know, but it is reported, and it's reported by enough people that I got a feeling, as Zagura said earlier, eh, read the scores. It's probably going to happen. The new defensive coordinator, allegedly for your Cleveland Browns, Jim Schwartz, to talk about that and to give us one thought from every game in Super Wild Card Weekend. Browns Radio Network analyst and co-host of the next level with Emmett Golden, Gerard Cherry, joins me. Greetings, my friend. Welcome, and I hope you had a good long weekend. I certainly did, Gibby. How you doing, my man? Dude, you know what? I'm great. I, I had a nice long weekend. I am here today. And uh, starting tomorrow, going to get a nice long weekend uh, down in the Sunshine State for a few days. So oh, bring some of that sun back with you, please. Yeah, tell oh, it me. Is yeah, nice I was going to say, I, it's fifty-one degrees yeah, for so you. I feel like that's pretty good for you. Now it, you know what, Jay? Because of that Christmas Eve game, <laughs> yeah, twenty-eight to thirty-one degrees is now comfortable to me. There used to be a point in time when that was the case. I wasn't leaving. I wasn't going outside, or I have. Five coats, layers, and everything else on. So, yes, thank you, Jay. I can say thank you because now I am much tougher than when I was when I actually played when it comes to dealing with the cold. So thank you very much for that. Uh, trust me, it, it was not my uh, intention to just be like, well, let's get Gerard a little bit more you know, ready for cold weather by putting him in the coldest game maybe in the history of Cleveland Browns football. Oh, man, you're talking about but middle yet, toughness. That's where we were. Yes, we were. Indeed, my friend. Oh, good. I'm glad you had a good weekend. What a crazy weekend, and we will get to the NFL games. But, uh, again, the reports are out there. The Browns, D.C., reportedly going to be Jim Schwartz. Schwartz, uh, the 25-year coaching veteran, brings 14 years of experience as a defensive coordinator to the league. Uh, Just wondering if you had had any run-ins with him over your uh, NFL career, and what a signing like this could mean for this Cleveland Browns defense going into 2023. As a coach, I've never had any runs run-ins with him, but I'm familiar with the fact that he's from the Belichick tree. He was a scout here in Cleveland at one point in time in the 90s, so right there you know he gets my stamp of approval. And on top of that, Jay, what does he have going for him? He's won a Super Bowl as a defensive coordinator. So when he sits in front of, or stands better yet, in front of the defensive meeting room and tells guys, hey, that's not going to get it done. He's coming from experience as a coordinator. Hey, this is what you're going to have to do. This is how we're going to have to play if you have championship aspirations. Because if you don't, then you need to get out of here or this is not going to cut it. So I love the fact that he brings that to the table from an experience standpoint. Fiery is definitely the the term that Nathan Mm -hmm. and I talked about a little earlier on the show. I think the other term that you can add into that, accountable. Mm-hmm. He's going to hold guys accountable on that defense. Right, and that's so key. If you don't do that, you stand no chance of winning because if a guy feels that, hey, I can do the same thing and go rogue whenever I want to because it feels good to me and I'm more concerned about a statistical output as opposed to doing what's best for the team, then you're screwed. It's just no simple way around. I wish I could say it in a more gracious way, Jay, but I really can't. If you got guys doing their own thing and doing you or yourself – it's not going to work because ultimately the whole point is to do what? Play team defense. Complimentary football takes place when guys are doing what their alignment assignment is and doing what they're supposed to do. So I love that, and I also love this too, Jay. Based upon what I saw in his interaction with Harbaugh back in the day when he was the head coach for the Lions, something tells me he's not going to take or any crap from anybody. So that's a good thing too. 
I've seen that video all day today. I had forgotten that that happened. And it makes all the sense in the world knowing how weird Harbaugh is that he would come at, <laughs> at, at him like that. And Schwartz's reaction is just, Prices. I'm going to follow you into the tunnel. I'm going to, I'm going to beat your, you know what, in the tunnel. And you know what? Yeah, you might have won, but I'm going to win the war here. Heard that? You know, I just, I, I was entertained by that, and I think, you know, like you said, uh, it's, it's going to be a little fiery. It's going to be accountable as well. But I, I would also say this: I think it will be fascinating to see what he does. We talk about the secondary and, and the linebacker room. We're not sure what that's going to look like with five, six guys going down uh, over the course of the season. But especially up the middle defensively, mm-hmm. that seems to be an area where he excels from a coaching standpoint. Right, and obviously if you look at the weakness of the defense and what was the focal point in which teams constantly attacked and had a lot of success – it was right there in the interior between the D tackles and the middle linebackers. Now, I felt at the end of the season, we started to shore things up and guys played better. And I attribute that more just to simply having size and experience there as opposed to lacking in size and lacking in experience to help the cause. So, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see with what we have on the roster and what we acquire, how they're able to shore that up. Because we talk so much about pass left, pass right, pass up the middle, pass down the scenes, pass on the sideline. What do we see a lot this year? Run up the middle, run to the right, A gap. Run to the left, B-gap. Run to the right, C-gap. You saw a lot of things in the interior, not much on the outside. So we have to share that up because, again, the game is about what, Jay? Focusing on and exploiting one's weakness. And that certainly was one for us during the course of the season on the defensive side of the ball. You know what? And Schwartz, that's one of the things, his hallmark on defense, getting the most out of his pass rushers uh, and isolating his stars for favorable matchups. I know – that there was a certain defensive end that maybe he had a little problem with that. Yeah, he don't want to come back uh, to that situation then. I don't yeah, I don't I don't know if that's gonna I I would highly doubt that's gonna happen. But you know, getting the most out of the pass rushers, which, you know, if you're looking at this Browns football team, is there a bigger need for pass rushing help or is there a bigger need for defensive tackle here as we enter this offseason? I know you got Miles Garrett, but there's a lot of unknown behind Miles Garrett. Well, I'm going to say in the interior still because I like to think if you got drafted, if you made an NFL roster and you're going to command one-on-one attention, now granted there are going to be times when you're going against an all-pro tackle and they're going to more likely win more than you and that's going to happen at times. But if you're in the NFL and you're getting one-on-one matchups and teams are going to disrespect you like that, make them pay. So ultimately, we, it's obvious we need help in the interior. So I say you have to go there, Jay, because at the end of the day, if I can run the football on you, who cares about passing? Because when I can run the football on you, you know what that says? That says I'm tougher than you. That says I'm more physical than you. That says I can make you succumb to my will quicker and beat you down because after you get beat down by the running game, guess what you're not ready to do? Play the passing game because they got this thing, as you well know, called play action pass. And it works very well when the running game is working very well. And then you have in the minds of defensive backs, I got to play the run. And the last thing that we need is for guys to do what? Do their own thing and think they should be playing one thing when they should be playing something else. Well, so we talk defensive line. That takes you into linebackers. And we, we've got some guys that are a little lighter than yes. your average size linebacker. So – and you saw some big moments this year with guys that we brought in later in the year. Reggie Ragland, Deion Jones. Uh, you saw some plays from some bigger, heavier linebackers. And I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see that dynamic between Schwartz and the, the front office as to what kind of linebacker we're going to see here in 2023. 
Well, that's going to be very interesting because you do have a situation where we have several linebackers who are young guys who are draft picks who are undersized. Now, there's something to be said for having one or two of those guys in your defense, especially on passing downs, and they can also operate within run, the run game concept. But if you got two to three guys shoring up your defense like that, we saw what that led to. Now, granted, you could also point to the fact that several of the guys who I'm describing from a physical standpoint but not naming names – or inexperienced as well. So that plays a part in it. But ultimately, I feel this way, Jay. You're going to have to have, as I like to say, girth in the middle there. You can't just have undersized guys because ultimately what you saw this year is going to more than likely take place. If I weigh 320 pounds and I'm a lineman and I'm hitting some guy who weighs 215 or 225, who do you think going to win that matchup? Your speed yep. in, those con- see, in, that, in those close confines, speed doesn't matter. It's about power and strength. Now, granted, you can shoot the gap and use your speed, but you can only do that so many times until they run a trap on you, and the next thing you know, we're getting gas for a lot of yards, right? So I think it has to be a combination where you got some big guys to take on the heavy work, and you let these speed guys, when they're on the football field, clean things up. You saw Fields do a really good job of it in the latter part of the season. Yeah, and you bring it up. Like, let them clean up. Let, let, the, let the speedsters make, uh, you know, dive in and make the plays there at the very end while the big guys take care of the big guys, essentially. Talking with Browns Radio Network analyst Gerard Cherry, also co-host of The Next Level with Emmett Golden, coming up right after this show on 850 ESPN Cleveland. All right, I saw your question on Twitter. I hopefully am not taking your show prep for 3 o'clock. Uh, you had tweeted this out makes me wonder is it best to go first or last when interviewing for a job yes what, i did what do you think about that <laughs> given, used... given given the given the situation obviously the situation is schwartz went first here but is that always necessarily a good thing and that's where i was stuck at because i'm of the mindset that if i'm last now you could also say if i'm first i'm the most important and I can set the precedent, but if I'm last and I just blow them away, wouldn't that be the last thing on their mind because of recent memory bias that we tend to have? So that's yes. what I was thinking. But in this case, obviously that was not the case because Swartz was the first to go, and he looks like from all accounts being reported, he'll be the one to sign. It's an interesting question. I, I, I don't know. It, yeah, it makes I you mean, wonder, man. I guess you, you don't want to be in the middle. How about that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you're if you're on the late day Friday or the late day Thursday, and you're not Tuesday, and you're not on Sunday, I don't know. Yeah, like, <laughs> Unfortunately, stuck in the middle here. Yeah. All right. I, I want to get your thoughts. This is what we call one thought, and and we do one thought around the national now, is there football a time league after on each week. No. Okay. You you can get crazy. All, right. All good. Um. So it's one thought from every game on Super. Wild card weekend. Uh, there is no time. Uh, Zagura makes that point. And by the way, Zagura's one thought usually ends up being three or four by the time it's all said and done. So let's get down to it. Uh, Paul, let's get us a little traveling music under this. Oh, yeah. Four, 49ers, 41, Seahawks, 23. One thought from you on this one. You are witnessing the rebirth of Tom Brady and Purdy. You're going to watch an unheralded lowly Mr. Irrelevant draft pick take a team to the Super Bowl and win out the gate. That's my one thought. Really? Really. It was it was crazy because I, I didn't watch a lot of the first half. I, mm-hmm. I was in transit meeting up with some friends of ours, and, and I, all of a sudden I was like, 
Seahawks giving them a game? Yeah, they were. Oh, maybe so. Maybe maybe Purdy's not the guy. Maybe 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 Tom is going to go to San Fran, go to the Bay Area, go home to close out the career. Eh, not so sure about that. And the interesting thing, and I saw this. How about Greasy? I think it's it's Brian Greasy. Yes, he is. Goes from the Monday Night Football booth to the quarterback coach of the 49ers. Yeah. First year, eh, no pressure. <laughs> you got to go through three quarterbacks. And he's handling like a pro, but the beautiful thing is, one, he played a position, and he had tutelage of Mike Shanahan as his head coach when he was a quarterback, and obviously his dad played at extremely high level, played on a perfect football team as well with the Dolphins. So if you're – and here's the thing with coaching, Jay. If you know how to teach – and he had the role as an analyst for Monday Night Football. And obviously, he's able to convey information to where a lot of people can understand and comprehend what he's saying. The same premise holds true as a coach. If you can teach guys and not just tell them, all right, you need to do three steps right there as a quarterback. You need to do your fifth step and then throw the football. But explain the rationale behind it and why it makes sense. You can have a situation where a guy who's the last person to be picked in last year's NFL draft is playing at a high level in the sense that he's not making mistakes. He's being cautious with the football. He's making plays, and he's doing things that you normally wouldn't associate with a rookie quarterback, especially in the playoff scenario. Yeah, just impressive all the way around. 49ers take care of business. On to Saturday night and the debacle here. I'm surprised that Brandon Staley still has a job. I know the OC and the QB coach got fired. Which makes no sense to me. uh, Yeah. Yeah, I, you're telling me. Jacksonville beats the Chargers 31-30. I believe the Chargers, it was 27-0, 30-0, something like that. I think it was 27-0. I'd said 30 earlier. It was 27-0. Chargers rolling. And here comes Trevor Lawrence <laughs> on the white horse. Dude, one thought from you on, on this one. Run. <laughs> it's really that <laughs> simple. Run the football. This whole idea and – of past craziness is sometimes when you're up that big, why not do this thing called milk the clock? Is it against yeah. the law to just milk the clock? Because at some point, do the math. There's a point to where they're going to simply just run out of possessions. But if you're passing here, there, everywhere, then you're going to give them opportunities to get back in the football game simply because you're not doing the thing proper with clock management. So for me, Jay, it's run. It's really that simple. You would have a job today in L.A. for the Chargers offense coordinator if you simply ran the football. Now, I can't put all the onus on him. Where's the defensive coordinator in this scenario? You gave up 31 points. I just, I I don't understand for the life of me what the hell was going on on that sideline. Bosa lost his mind. He gets like two unsportsmanlikes. Come on, like, what what is going on over Plays, there? man. And think about that. He doesn't get that last play. They more than likely go for it. They go for the field goal as opposed to two-point conversion. You at least have a chance to play in overtime. Yeah. I I, I just I did I, I was literally yelling at the TV, run the ball. And then they just kept throwing the football. Uh, well, and just, they couldn't complete anything. But I, I, I get it though. Because a lot of times coaches fall in love with a particular player and they want to promote him. I saw it in the Super Bowl. I saw it with the Seattle Seahawks and Russell Wilson. There was no excuse on the one-yard line not to hand the ball off to a guy who was averaging five to six yards of carry in Marshawn Lynch at that point at the goal line. But no, you want Russell Wilson to be the hero, so what do you do? You pass the football. 
So in this scenario, no, you don't want Eckler to get involved with the running game, so you want to make Herbert the star. So you do what? You keep passing the football. Just do what makes sense. And they call it a balanced attack for a reason, Jay. So if you don't – and you have the ability to do just there that. There was nothing balanced about what happened with the Chargers. Woo, with the lead. I'm pretty yeah. sure someone's wrote a book. Paul Brown, Bill Walsh, Bill Belichick, Bill Parcells, <laughs> <laughs> Bill Cower. I can't get any more do bills. You, do you need to write the book? I mean, obviously, I, I guess you do, but do you really need to? It would be common sense, right? Yeah. All right, we go to Sunday's games because that one befuddled me. Uh this uh, two of these three games were supposed to be blowouts, and they were anything but. And I, I have a firm belief it is because when you play a team three times in a football oh, season, yeah. and they are in your division, you take you better take nothing for granted. And the Bills did not look invincible, and the Dolphins, you could have made an argument should have come away with that W. Yeah, Bills know. thirty-four, Dolphins thirty-one. Yeah, I make the argument if Tua plays, they likely win that game. And you're absolutely right. There's nothing like familiarity. When you play a team a third time and you just played them, what, two or three weeks ago? So you still have a sense of who they are right there. And to the Dolphins' credit, they went to Buffalo in harsh weather conditions and almost pulled that one out. So in their mind, they had reasons to be confident. I just – it was crazy. And Josh Allen does does not look right. No, man, he cannot – There's something going on there. He cannot play the way he's playing, and you think that they're going to go to the Super Bowl. I'm sorry, I cannot endorse that. They did not look like a Super Bowl-winning football team the way he played with all the mistakes that he's making. But guess what, Jay? You've heard me say this about him. Every game he gives you what? One or two chances. Yeah. Good, Great quarterbacks do that. But, well, I shouldn't say that. Let me take that back. Strike that from the record, Connor. (laughs) You're right. He does get. He gives the other team chances. Right. I know where you were going mm-hmm. there, and I, I just I don't I don't understand it. It's like he had one interception in the postseason going into uh, Sunday. Three picks later, they barely escape with a win, and it will not get any easier going forward. Uh, the middle game on Sunday: Giants thirty-one, Vikings twenty-four. I had this one accurately called all week. I had no faith in the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, no reason but, to have it, right? Yeah, can someone explain to me what the play call was on fourth and eight? That one at the end of the game. I actually heard the head coach McDonald explain it, and he said something to the effect that they sent guys vertical and they wanted the tight end to come underneath. Okay, now I don't, I don't, I don't, I haven't seen all twenty-two because I'm not sure if the Giants blitzed or anything like that. But I know that pass rush was causing havoc. Why not have the guy just simply run to the sticks and turn around? Why do a shallow cross on, on that situation, especially with a tight end? If you're going to do a shallow cross, put it in the hands of a receiver who can more than likely elude someone, right? Correct. I, I thought that was a play call from the 0-16 Cleveland Browns season. Uh. Like, you need eight, and you get five. You need <laughs> ten, you get five. <laughs> I, that's what it felt like. You, get, I, I you need one, like, you get you sacked. Get, yeah, exactly. You get minus seven. Yeah. I I just I did not understand it. And I, I said it earlier, Daniel Jones keeps playing like that. He's going to get paid. <laughs> well, that's great. I'm glad you brought that up because it is clear that coaching has helped his cause. So if I'm Daniel Jones, I won't go too crazy with contract demands because you're definitely not in the Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, 
conversation. He's not even a top 10, I feel like. But he's playing like one right now, Jay. Last month, he's been the best quarterback in the game. So if I were him, I would one, yeah, ask for 20, 30 million, but don't go crazy because yeah. I think they will re-sign you for that because you are playing to that caliber and look to that second contract, or third rather in this case, to break the bank. Up next, Sunday night foosball. Bengals 24, Ravens 17. I don't know what's going on in Baltimore. Lamar Jackson's not playing. I'm loving it. You got players turning on players, although they all seem to be like re-sign Lamar. Team Lamar. We sure about that? Because the guy hasn't played in December in in two seasons. I'm sure about it because he's trying to get his payola. It's really that simple, Jay. Did you read the cryptic tweet, if you will, that he put out today? Yes, I saw it. I loved it. But you know what? That helps our cause. Absolutely, it you does. You want them to have a disgruntled Lamar Jackson. You want them to have a Lamar who does not think that they have his best interest at heart and they don't appreciate what he brings to the table, though his teammates do. Because that's the type of deal where I was saying to myself, why in the world, considering what's going on with Lamar Jackson, you guys would smack him in the face by giving Smith $100 million and making him the highest paid linebacker when you're unwilling to make him one of the highest paid quarterbacks? What are, what's the logic in that? Why would you do that and think that he's going to have the mindset that, hey, these guys are on board with me. These guys have love for me. These guys appreciate me. You did the exact opposite. Sometimes when you sign people, it could be a bad move for your football team from a morale standpoint because the worst thing you can have dudes thinking, Jay, in the course of the season is about money as opposed to playing football games. And I think Lamar made a business decision. One, you saw you still couldn't win without him. And two, he was able to send the Ravens a message once again. That you need me more than I need you. I just, I, I look at that and I go, well, I mean, maybe they tried. And the problem is maybe Lamar getting in his own way as his own agent. I <laughs> and don't his think, own doctor, man. He ruled yeah, himself I, out. I thought that was amazing. I didn't. <laughs> I, I don't know what he's thinking there. I really don't. Look at John. And I ain't playing today. By the way, I'd have given Roquan Smith the money. I think Roquan Smith's a hell of a football player. Okay, but what about Lamar, but, though? He only plays the most important position in the game. He, he he does play the most important position in the game. But if 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 uh, we can only assume, but I would guess that Lamar Jackson wants like a fully guaranteed contract. And, see, and, but, but and Baltimore's not going to do that, nor should they, given the fact that he's missed at least four or five games for the last right, two well, years. They're going to continue to miss. Well, they're going to pay him fifty million dollars next year, about forty-eight million, forty-seven. To Tell you, Gerard, they're going to trade him. No, to who? They'll have a taker. I'm sure they will, and they'll be happy. Whoever it is that taker will be happy to pay him. Maybe. I see it happening. Regardless of what it takes, he's going to at least make $47 million next year. Again, it helps our cause. Oh, no doubt about it. Get him out of the division. I'm okay with that. Get him out of the AFC, please. I'm (laughs) fine with that. If he's going to go somewhere, don't be surprised it's not Miami. I know. That that will be ugly. (laughs) <laughs> no, thank you. No, Gosh. thank you. Defend that. Final one. Yeah, final one. I, I don't know what's going on with your guy down in Tampa, but Cowboys 31, Buccaneers 14. Oh, Tom, it's my pleasure to defend you on this day after your major loss in which you played bad and you did things that were totally uncharacteristic of how you approach and play the game of football, but that's okay. One in their 40s can have a bad game here and there, and the season for them was tumultuous to begin with. And the personal level, obviously, was rough for him. And this is how that team played overall was rough for him. And I was not impressed with what I saw, but I'm not one of these people saying, retire, Tom, you need to retire. 
I think he has one more in him. The man threw, had 400 and what, 90 completions? Or some crazy number like that? I, I don't. <laughs> at one point last night, I saw he had thrown like 56 passes. That's too much. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you doing? 66 like, total. Thank you. That's too much. Thanks, Paul. Way too much. Where's the balance? Where's the running game? Where are. And the defense was a no help either because let's be frank. Did not the Cowboys do what they wanted to do on offense? I mean, other than the first two drives of the game, after that it was it was smooth sailing for Dak Prescott and company. I I just like you ran the ball. Leonard Fournette five carries for eleven yards. No commitment to it. Pass, pass, like pass. Too dependent upon Tom Brady's greatness. As he needs, I've always said this. He needs help. Now, granted. 10 years ago. He's 45. He's my age. I mean, of course 10, he needs help. 10, 15 years ago when he was like, when he put up those historic numbers with Randy Moss and crew. Yeah, he was putting up crazy numbers. But I think at this point, balance. Again, it goes back to what we said about the Chargers game. Balance. You need balance. Ultimately, life is about balance. And that's my tip for the day. I just, I don't, where does he end up a year from now? Uh, I'm going to go with playing? Tampa. I think he's going to be he's right gonna smack, come back. To, he's going right to come back to Tampa. dab in Tampa. One, I mean, we could make the argument the Raiders would make some sense because of the relationship with McDaniel, and they need a quarterback. So I can see that, but then I say, okay, well, if that's the case, what about your family situation? Because everyone knows his family situation, that his kids and his wife live on the East Coast, and obviously Vegas is on, on the East Coast. It's on the West Coast, if you will. So I don't, I see Tampa being the spot, but here's the thing with Tampa. I think the team and in general, just don't have that drive that you see out of a championship caliber team. They look disinterested in the whole season, but it definitely is his easiest path back to the playoffs because we got to assume that the NFC South will be lackluster once again. Though we said that about the East, they're pretty damn good this year. Yeah. I, I, again, I, I'm seeing some reports that Byron Leftwich is going to be out as OC. I I think that's I think that's him getting a raw deal because a year ago he was one of the hottest coaching candidates yeah, out there. Change. Uh-huh. And, and I just... I wonder, I'm not so sure Bruce Arians promoted the right guy to coach that football team. Yeah. Sometimes you're better as a coordinator than a head coach. Yeah, well, sometimes you are. Sometimes you know you know where you stand. Yeah, yeah. and I just, I, I'm, I'm, that's a fascinating one. Like, we didn't think we'd have another quarterback roulette after last season. I think it's shaping up with Brady, Lamar, Jimmy Garoppolo, Trey Lance. What are the 49ers going to do with Trey Lance? Like, I think there's a lot of let things get in healthy. motion here. <laughs> no, let them get healthy. You got the 49ers are notorious for back in the day, Jay, of having multiple great quarterbacks. I can tell you at one point in time they had Joe Montana, Steve Young, and Steve Bono on the roster. I was just going to say Steve Bono, baby. Steve Bono went 15-1 one season for the Chiefs. Did you know that? I did not know or that. 14-2, something crazy like that. <laughs> I love Steve Bono. They, they literally had... They recognize the importance of the position long before anybody else No did. doubt about it. Gerard Cherry, I appreciate your time, my friends. Uh, what's coming up today on your show at 3 o'clock with that? Uh, let me see. Yeah, we got is a surprise. Climac back? Is he causing trouble? Now, Climac is back, and we have Joel Batonio in the house from 4, four to 4.30. Yeah. So that should be some good Whoa, stuff. And obviously, you. we'll talk Brown's defensive coordinator and what that entails, if it is sports, if he is the man, which, like you said before, you got multiple people going out there on a limb reporting it. Yeah. It's going to happen. Yeah, I would think so. It's only a matter of time. Uh, get some downtime, my friend. We'll talk soon. Appreciate your time. Actually, you're uh, you're with the 19th, Bo on right? Thursday. Yeah. This Thursday or yeah. next Thursday? 
This Thursday. I'm glad I know my dates. <laughs> I'm glad you do too. Because uh, after tomorrow at about 1.30, I will definitely not. Uh, appreciate the time, buddy, and we'll talk soon. All right, man. Take care, Gibby. All right, that's Gerard Cherry, Browns Radio Network analyst. We'll take a quick time out. When we come back, the Parade of Stars continues. Nick Shook from NFL.com and the NFL Network joins us. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet, coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Cleveland Browns Daily brought to you by BallyBet. Coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Hour two of Cleveland Browns Daily brought to you by BallyBet. Coming soon to Ohio. I'm Jason Gibbs. Segura's in a plane. He's on his way to his assignment. Bishop, feel better. Especially because 24 hours from now, I will be on assignment for the rest of the week. And frankly... I need you here, buddy, but I hope he feels better. He's had a rough weekend, and I mean, we could truly blame it on Bootsy. Uh, so uh, feel better, my friend. Appreciate Gerard Cherry joining us. Uh, Anthony Poizel will join us at the bottom of the hour right now, though, to the hotline we go. It is the Twisted Tea Hotline, brought to you by Twisted Tea, Hard Iced Tea, an official sponsor of the Cleveland Browns. Keep it, keep it Twisted Cleveland, NFL Network guru one of our great friends um maybe my best friend during the combine week the great nick shook joins us on the twisted t hotline greetings my friend i hope you are resting your liver in preparation for what's coming in the next month and a half <laughs> i mean we still got to get to the super bowl before we get there Gibbs. But i'm not going what, to the super bowl i don't know are you going <laughs> oh yeah i'll be there all right are you there for like the full two weeks uh, about eight days going the what used to be the Pro Bowl, what is now the flag football game in Vegas. Uh, in fact, a few years ago, I, I used to go from Orlando when it was out there uh, directly. Well, actually home for a little bit, as you know, Cleveland, and then right back to the Super Bowl site. So, you know, it, it, we're, we're in for a run here, my friend. But uh, don't worry, I'll be, uh, I'll be in, in great shape. Right uh, in I was going to say, you're going to be in prime shape. I'm the one that is now worried. I mean, eight days in Arizona, that (laughs) leads to a whole host of issues. Like all positive. Better than me is you. It's you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I want to. We'll talk about Wild Card Weekend and the divisional stuff here in just a minute. But obviously, the the news of the day, the reports out there, nothing official from the team yet, but the reports out there. Uh, that the Browns do have a new defensive coordinator. His name is Jim Schwartz. He has quite an impressive history in the National Football League, especially coaching defenses. Wanted to get uh, a, a few thoughts from you uh, on the Browns' uh, reportedly new defensive coordinator. Well, I think it's a great hire for the Browns. Um, I was a, a little bit concerned that they might try to go young again uh, with, a, with a different candidate who was not Jim, Jim Schwartz, but I think that this is – Really, the, the situation that they're in right now is they need veteran experience and they need a, a proven defensive coordinator. Now, you know, Schwartz has spent his recent years with the Titans as a, as a senior defensive assistant, but this is a guy who's built a reputation for being an excellent defensive coordinator, so much that he was a head coach at one time of the Lions, and, and folks in Detroit would probably say that maybe he didn't deserve to get fired, much like Jim Caldwell probably didn't deserve to get fired back then as well. So he's been a solid coach for the majority of his career. He's helped um, kind of lead a bit of a charge when it comes to the focus on pass rush 
and, and specifically in his use of wide nine alignments. Um, and, and I think that's going to be great for Miles Garrett uh, and his ability to kind of get him in, in one-on-one matchups where, you know, his athleticism is really going to thrive. And I think most importantly, based on the weakness of the Browns this season in particular, there's going to be a focus on the defensive interior, which there was not uh, in the last couple of years, kind of trusting the young guys to figure it out and get it done and realizing how thin you were at the position, especially when it came to trying to stop the run in some key moments uh, in in the season, especially late in the, in the second half of the season when you needed to stop the run and, and, and you weren't able to. And it's also a reunion of sorts. Anybody who's ever watched Cleveland 95, the football life, Cleveland 95, little plug for our content on NFL Network. Uh, you will know well that done. Schwartz was one of the uh, the slappies, as they called them, uh, under Bill Belichick. You know, th- that was a huge group. You know, you had Thomas Dimitrov, you had Phil Savage, um, Eric Mangini. Schwartz was another one of those many, many uh, that ended up, you know, moving on to gr- bigger and better things in the NFL. So he's returning to Cleveland where he was essentially nothing more than a glorified intern, and now he'll be the defensive coordinator tasked with taking a team that has talent but needs to be more uh, more organized, I think, and, and more disciplined than they were. They were just too out of sorts this season, and uh, we know how that contributes to their overall record. Indeed. Nick Shook joins us from the NFL Network. You can read him on NFL.com. That, that's, you mentioned the inside of this defense. That's a position I'm watching now if Jim Schwartz is indeed our new defensive coordinator. The other is the what Jim Schwartz's philosophy is and how it meshes with the front office as it pertains to linebacker. Because let's be honest, linebackers were light and fast. And at some point in the NFL, you got to have a couple thumpers, as we uh, showed at late in the year with some of the guys that we brought in that had success. What type of linebacker are we going to see here in addition to those defensive tackles? Yeah, I was super surprised, you know, kind of just looking back in this past season to see Reggie Ragland show up and, and make a difference pretty quickly. I um, mean, this is a guy that's kind of bounced around the league, was a, a highly talented prospect coming out of college, but uh, to see him make a difference like that, it, it, it was I was pretty impressed. Uh, Deion Jones being an in-season acquisition, you know, he had some key plays. There were some other games where he wasn't so great. You really missed Anthony Walker. And I think that um, going forward, you've got at least one guy you know you can count on in JOK. Like that's, he's going to be a key part of your franchise moving forward. I think you can see a decent amount of turnover uh, with the rest of this group just based on the fact that a lot of them have not put, on, you know, put together a full season uh, of effective play. So I don't know if it's so much that what type you're looking for. A lot of the league now, you know, there's less of an emphasis on the position because you go sub-package so much that you end up with maybe two backers out there most of the time. You got one who's definitely a great sub-linebacker in JOK. And it's just a question of filling out the rest of the group. I thought that it's a position that they've kind of ignored in recent years, much like they ignored the interior this past offseason, save for the addition of Perrion Winfrey. Um, they, they just, they've kind of been like, hey, well, you know, they signed Anthony Walker two years ago. They brought him back last year. That was great. You had Jacob Phillips, who was a draft pick a few years ago. They kind of entrusted him to take on a bigger role. But you saw how thin they were when injury struck, when you lost Walker, and you needed to go get Deion Jones. You had to go sign Reggie Raglan. You, you, you pushed, you know, Jordan Kunazic, you know, who was a, a bubble guy, in camp and ended up making the final 53 uh, in, into more of a prominent role. And you still have Taki Taki out there who unfortunately got hurt, you know, late in the season as well. So, you know, it's just a group that needs to be deeper. I don't know if you necessarily land a top end talent, uh, especially the fact that you don't really have a ton of picks because of what you've made in, in recent years. But I, I do trust 
you know, Schwartz's ability to get the most out of these guys. I mean, like I said before, you know, he's he has not gotten to this prominent role in the NFL and, and in the past and, you know, in recent years without producing. And and I think that he will be able to maximize some of these guys. And I really think if you shore up that defensive front four, it's going to take a lot of pressure off those linebackers as well. Absolutely, and it's going to allow that secondary to make more plays here, uh, hopefully, in 2023. Uh, real quick before the playoff talk, you're, you're a quick thought or two on Deshaun Watson and what you saw in six games. I mean, it, it definitely got better as we went on. Still some things to work on here as we go into the offseason. Yeah, you know, I think that Deshaun, when it comes to public perception, is going to be fighting an uphill battle for a long time. Sure. Because of, you know, how, how he ended up in Cleveland, everything that happened, um, and, and probably rightfully so. But I think if – so if you look at his numbers and you go in with maybe like you're trying to find a reason to dislike him, you can look at the numbers and say, yeah, it wasn't a good performance overall in his first season. But you have to also consider all the external factors that were involved. Like, let's think about the fact that he rejoined the team in, what, week 13? I mean – they, he started his first game was at the place he formerly called home. You could tell that the speed of the game, he was not adjusted to it. There was some visible rust. He just wasn't very good. But it didn't take that long for him to start to really show signs of what he could be. Now, you go all the way to Week 18, and those two interceptions against Pittsburgh were pretty ugly, but he was running for his life a lot of that game. From and, the moment the I ball was snapped. See. Yeah, of course, because you're missing you know, your right tackle, and, and, and it wasn't the only guy you were missing up front, right? So yeah. against a stingy Pittsburgh defense. So it, it makes sense. But I think if you look at his week-by-week progression, you ignore the total numbers, the gross numbers in the year, and you kind of watch the tape for what it was. You'll see, like statistically, he was 15-31 against New Orleans, but he had a ton of drop passes. The conditions were terrible. He should have had another touchdown pass to Omari Cooper in that game. That's a game that they very, very well could have won. Uh, and, and so I think that there were glimpses of him starting to put it together. We saw it the most in Washington, 9 of 18 passing, but the three touchdown drives to start the second half, all three touchdown passes by Watson. That was the best he's looked so far. I think that's the guy he can be because that's not a slouch of a defense in Washington, especially up front. That's the guy he can be with the whole offseason of preparation and, and the time afforded to him really get on the same page as everybody's playing with, really get an understanding of this offense and not be thrown to the fire in the middle of the season because it looked a lot like, they were playing in late preseason, early season, when they're still figuring things out when he's in there, except, oh, it's week 14 in the NFL. You know? So I think that that whole offseason could help him a lot. The fact that he can get past all of, you know, the off-field stuff and just focus on football will be good for him. And you know, I, I expect him to be close to what he was when he was in Houston. The only thing I really needed to see from him is a little bit more comfort in the pocket. And I think better pass protection will assist with that. You get Jack Conklin back, you, know, you re-sign him, you get him healthy, that'll help getting uh, you know, the center position solidified as well. That's also going to help. I just need him to trust the pocket a little bit more, which I think he'll be able to with more game reps. And, and eventually, you know, it could pay off for, for the Browns. Amen. Let's hope so. Nick Shook joins us from NFL Network and NFL.com. Your, your thoughts on Super Wild Card Weekend. Obviously, we're, I, don't, I was not expecting what went down last night, but clearly it did. Uh, and then a couple of games that we thought that were going to be blowouts, anything but just a, a wild weekend that sets up a fantastic divisional round. See, Gibbs, this is how I know, and I know this from experience working with you, that when you are with one team, you are dialed in on that team and you know everything about the team, but you're probably not quite as aware of the other teams that are supposed to be good and are actually not good because you just don't have the time to be able to watch them on a weekly basis. Anybody who watched the Buccaneers for a month this season, every Come game on. in a Hold month. Hold on. 
like Tom Tom Brady, an underdog in a playoff no. game at a home playoff game. I don't game. care. I don't I, care. Come on, Gibbs, no. Gibbs, they were that bad. They were that team. The team they were last night. That's who they were all season. In fact, if it wasn't for Tom Brady, they may have not been in the playoffs because there was multiple instances where their offense did nothing for three and a half quarters, but somehow they were able to keep it a one-score game against a bad team. I think about the game against the Rams in particular. And all of a sudden, they get in a two-minute drill. Tom Brady gets full control of the offense. He goes right down the field. What happened last night? They're down 24 nothing. They decide to hurry it up. They go in a two-minute drill situation, even though they're outside the two-minute mark in that game. End of the third quarter, Brady puts them right down the field, tosses a great touchdown pass down the sideline. They get on the board. That's who they are when Brady's in control. And I think this is why you're going to see a change in the staff in Tampa if Brady returns, which that's a whole other topic. At, yeah. at offensive coordinator, because I think Byron Leftwich and Tom Brady were just not on the same page. They did not work well together for the majority of the season. There's way too much talent on that team for them to be as bad as they were. You get to the playoffs at 8-9. and nine. Your offense has never really shown that it can be that type of team that you expect. This is a team that was putting up a ton of points the last two years, and suddenly they couldn't do it anymore. And there really weren't that many changes in talent. They lost some guys in the offensive line, but overall – no excuse other than the fact that they were just, just disjointed. So going into that game, I think I had Cowboys 30-20. to 20, And afterward, yeah. I thought about it probably more like 30-13. to 13, And I thought 13 was being... With, with Mike McCarthy and a Cowboy team that you have no idea what you're going to get week in and week out, it seems. Yeah. The, but the Tampa the Bay was I, that badly. That, that, that bad. Yes, because the Dan Quinn defense is still opportunistic enough to cause problems for Brady, especially with, you know, the fact that they've been playing backups on the offensive line for most of the year and they haven't been able to figure it out. And if Dak Prescott could just avoid the mistakes, they could put up enough points because they have talent. What did he do last night? He had one of his best games as a Cowboy. They dominated. Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator, in his bag from start to finish, dialing up great plays in perfect situations, everybody playing good football. That's the Cowboys at their best. If they play like that, they can beat the Niners this week, as crazy as it sounds. I had no... No worries. I had full confidence in the Cowboys beating the Buccaneers, more because the Buccaneers are, are not a good football team. And we know what we got this weekend, Gibbs. We got a ton of relief. We got rid of a bunch of teams that were pretenders, one being the Vikings, the worst 13-4 and four team you'll ever find, Amen. a team that never really looked like title contenders, the Dolphins who were rolling with a third-string quarterback, unfortunately, and, and the Buccaneers, a pretender team that, you know, finally they're, they're gone as well. What the hell is going on with the L.A. Chargers? I, all season long, I thought they won in spite of their of their coach. They didn't beat a team. They only beat one team in the playoffs. Like, they had one win. Everything else was against teams under 500. What is going so, on with the Chargers? I'm not a Staley guy. I know. <laughs> I'm not necessarily a Staley. He should have lost to the Browns, if we're being completely honest. Uh <laughs> Okay, so this is a team that struggled because they didn't have their, their top weapons for a lot of the season. I mean, they didn't have Keenan Allen for a good chunk of it. They didn't have Mike Williams. Then they started to get all these guys back late in the year. They lost some other guys elsewhere. They lose J.C. Jackson on the defensive side of the ball who wasn't having a good season to begin with. They didn't get both of back until week 18 and then the playoff, you know. So it, it was kind of a disjointed year for them. But too often he put them in situations in which they were vulnerable to lose. There is no explanation for going up 27 to nothing and blowing that game. And the biggest issue, I thought, was a lack of aggression. You know, we often talk about it, coach, going from coaching to win to coaching not to lose. That's what they did in that game. And the big series that really told me that, oh, man, they might be in a tough spot was right before halftime. They get a turnover, 
and they go three and out and punt immediately. And it gave the Jaguars just enough time to get the ball back, go right down the field, score, make it 27-7. Also, they got a little bit of hope, a little bit of confidence, because if you watch the Jaguars, especially in the second half of the season, what team are they? They're a team that does not stop believing until the clock hits triple zeros. They've authored multiple comebacks. They did it against the Ravens. They did it against the Cowboys, including a pick-six walk-off in overtime. They're a team that's capable of doing that because Trevor Lawrence is turning the corner and all those signings they made in the offseason, they're starting to pay off. And I think that the Chargers walked into that situation because they were just saying, all right, let's just sit on this lead. Let's try to avoid losing. And instead of playing aggressively, they end up losing in a stunner in one of the better wild card games you're going to see. Okay, one last question, and I appreciate the time today. Nick Shook from NFL Network and NFL.com, one of the greats. Make sure you follow him. Make sure you read him. He's fantastic. He's one of our great friends uh, on this program, in this program's history. I will. I will. I'm going to. I'm going to ask you this. Give me one reason why Saturday night could be better than Sunday's games this coming weekend. Give me one reason, because you have the two number one seeds. You know, Philly Giants, Chiefs, Jaguars. But Sunday's where it's at. Three o'clock, Bengals, Bills, followed by Cowboys, Forty Niners. Give me one reason why Saturday could be as good, if not better. You can't. If the Jaguars carry over their momentum, (laughs) you said you can't. If they carry over their momentum from last (laughs) game and and go toe-to-toe with the Chiefs. Because, they, you know, they're a team that has nothing to lose. They weren't supposed to be here. They definitely weren't supposed to be in the divisional round. They're a team that has nothing to lose but all the faith and confidence in the world in both their coach, their quarterback, and their young talent on both sides of the ball. If they can get that game close, kind of makes me think about how the Titans used to play the Chiefs in these games in recent years. They can keep it close. It'll be really thrilling. And then the Giants, they're another team. They're playing with house money as well against an Eagles team that had a week off. It's kind of a, a, a little bit of a skid in the last month or so with Jalen Hurts getting hurt and then coming back and still kind of playing through injury. That could be an interesting game because it's a, a divisional rivalry. And, uh, and you know, I could see that one being close where the Giants maybe have a chance. Can Daniel Jones get it, you know, get them over the hump? He played really well last week. But, I mean, you're right. Sunday is where it's at. But uh, there's definitely a reason to watch on Saturday just because you got a couple of upstart teams that nobody thought were going to be here playing against a couple of powerhouses. And anytime you get that in the playoffs, you know how it is. Any given Sunday. You know, just look at what Saturday, happened this past weekend, Saturday. buddy. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Shooker, I do watch football, darn it, and I'm okay at it. Not great, <laughs> but I'm okay at it. Dude, that I wasn't appreciate a dig. It. That was not a dig. I just know. Because when I you was tell- with you guys, I was like, I lost track of the rest of the league. Not at the level that I have to have it working for a year. You know, I just, I'm like, oh, man, I, I didn't realize that so-and-so was having this type of year. And I couldn't blame you if you never watched. I still have no idea what cowboy team. team's going to show up, but I'm not. I'm not going against Tom Brady. Maybe I should have. And that's, we'll leave it at that. Shooker, I appreciate the time, man. All the best to the lady, and uh, hope all is well. All right, good. Thanks for having me, man. You got it. We'll talk soon. Nick Shook from NFL Network and NFL.com. If a car, truck, or motorcycle accident caused you injury, call the injury lawyers at 1-800-ELK-OHIO for a free case review. Elk and Elk, proud partner of the Cleveland Browns. More when we continue after this quick timeout on Cleveland Browns Daily. Brought to you by BallyBet, coming soon to Ohio. Cleveland Browns Daily brought to you by BallyBet. Coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland.
Fans, mark your calendars for face-off on the lake. Presented by Meyer, the first major outdoor hockey game at First Energy Stadium. February 18th, the Ohio State Buckeyes host the Michigan Wolverines here at First Energy Stadium. Tickets are on sale now. They're just 12 bucks. They start at just 12 bucks. For more information, visit firstenergystadium.com slash faceoff or call 440-891-5050 and make sure that you do it today. Earlier today, Nathan Zagura kicked off Cleveland Browns Daily and then he was whisked away to his uh, assignment for the next couple days in somewhere sunny. <laughs> we appreciated his time. Wanted to replay a quick clip from him. This is Nathan Zagura on the reports of our new defensive coordinator, Jim Schwartz, being hired. This is an opportunity for Jim Schwartz, though, to get back to that level he was with the Philadelphia Eagles when, as I said, he led that defense and that team to a Super Bowl win. And so you've got experience, as you pointed out. He is fiery. You go back in, you can find some of his stuff as a head coach there. You can find some of his, his clips as a defense coordinator. He is fiery. He likes to run an aggressive, wide nine, kind of 4-3 attacking front, which should suit Miles Garrett very well and suit our personnel. He has been great with defensive tackles in the past. Albert Hainsworth in Tennessee and Dominican Sue in Detroit, Fletcher Cox in Philadelphia. So I would imagine that will be a position and a point of big emphasis for this Browns team this offseason to get Jim Schwartz the kind of player that he likes in the middle of his defense to really help kind of make this thing go. So that's something to keep an eye on there. But if you wanted a veteran, you wanted somebody with a proven track record, you wanted somebody who's got, as we said, a wealth of experience, he's got leadership capabilities, he's done it as a head coach, he's done it as a defensive coordinator. Again, this is his 15th season as a defensive coordinator and he's got that relationship that's an important thing he knows Andrew Barry from their time together Andrew Barry knows him and so this is a team that you hope now can kind of take that next level it was the defense in the early portion of the season that kind of struggled for the Browns this year you're hoping that Jim Schwartz can erase that he can get this team better against the run and of course get this team getting after the quarterback which is something that has been a hallmark of every single stop that he's been when he was with the Bills in 2014 they finished first with 54 sacks when he was with the Eagles there uh, in his five seasons there they averaged they were seventh in sacks in the league 208 and so this is something that's that's a staple of what he does and that's what you hope he brings here to this team stop the run get him in obvious passing situations and then go get after the quarterback again the it is reported not official yet from down the hall here at the cross-country mortgage campus in Berea but all the reports leaning toward Jim Schwartz becoming the new defensive coordinator for the Cleveland Browns. A 25-year NFL coaching veteran also brings 14 years experience as a D coordinator. From 2000 to two, uh, 2001 to 08 with the Titans, 14 with the Bills, 16 through 20 with the Philadelphia Eagles where he won a Super Bowl. A reminder, he, in 2019, he spent a year with Browns GM Andrew Barry, who was the vice president of football operations under Howie Roseman with the Eagles. He was a candidate for the Browns head coaching gig in 2020 when Kevin Stefanski got the job. Schwartz's hallmark on defense, getting the most out of his pass rushers, isolating his stars for favorable matchups. And of course, got his start here with the Cleveland Browns as a scout in the Bill Belichick era 
from 93 through 95 when the Browns moved to Baltimore in 96. He became the, the Ravens outside linebackers coach from 96 through 98, then went on to Tennessee as a Titans defensive assistant in 99 and linebacker coach in 2000 before being promoted to coordinator in 01. He has spent 12 years with the Titans, including the last two as senior defensive assistant under Mike Vrabel, and, and he's done quite quite well. Uh, In 2014, his Buffalo Bills defense led the NFL in sacks and third down conversion rate 33% while finishing second in scoring, giving up only 16.9 points per game. As a defensive coordinator, helped the Eagles win the Super Bowl while leading the NFL in rush defense that season, only giving up 79 yards per game. Uh, In Detroit, as the head coach, he took over after an 0-16 season, later directed the Lions to a 10-6 record in 2011, marking Detroit's first postseason appearance since 1999. The guy has a long list of credentials. He is very good at what he does. He is fiery. He's going to hold people accountable, and uh, it will be fun to see how this defense takes shape going into this season, especially in the offseason. We've talked about it with Nick Shook. We talked about it with Gerard Cherry. What's the interior of that defensive line going to look like? What's the linebacker situation going to take? uh, What kind of shape is that going to take? And Nathan mentioned it earlier as well. There's some questions in the secondary. Greedy Williams is a free agent. Uh, What are you going to do at that safety spot? You're going to need a little more depth at corner. What happens after the main guys and the starters? A lot of questions to be answered here on the defense. Uh, The good news is the Browns have a defensive coordinator, it appears, uh, and they have it in mid-January, which just gives us more time and gives him more time, gives his team more time to get ready for the season with that coaching staff. Uh, We'll take a quick timeout. When we come back, higher or lower, presented by the Ohio Lottery, the great Anthony Poizal, Browns staff writer, joins us here in studio. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet, coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet, coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. All right, back here on Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet, coming soon to Ohio. Thanks to Nick Shook for his time. Thanks to Gerard Cherry. Thanks to Z for stopping in before he goes on assignment for a couple days. Well-deserved by him. The Parade of Stars wraps up with the one and only staff writer for the Cleveland Browns. Anthony Poizel joins us. You know, it's 40 degrees. Dude's firing off a 90 on the scorecard playing golf in Maryland in January. Yeah, you're talking about Z going Disgusted by you. (laughs) Talk about Z going on his assignment and was able to, uh, you know, take a vacation myself last weekend. Got back to Maryland. um, Played golf on Sunday in... What was the coldest round I think I've ever played, but that's just how uh, desperate I kind of was to get out because I know there's there's not any chances at all to, to, to golf in the wintertime in Cleveland. So, But it, it was still very cold, and uh, you know we were able to kind of simplify the game a little bit and ended up not shooting too bad. So I'll take a 90 in, in 32 degrees. Uh, of That was the temperature when we teed off. I'll take that. I'll take that any round. So, um, yeah, it was good. 
So obviously the big news of the day is not officially news. Uh, reports only. We await uh, any kind of further instructions from our PR department mm-hmm. and the Cleveland Browns front office. But that's going on down the hall. Mm-hmm. What we can tell you is there are plenty of reports out there that the Browns have indeed decided on a defensive coordinator. Now, they interviewed four different guys. Uh, they have settled on Jim Schwartz. He will be the new de- defensive coordinator, reportedly. Your thoughts uh, on the Browns uh, essentially finding their man and finding him early in this process? Yeah, I, I really like it, and I think Schwartz was a guy when when the list of candidates that they were going to be interviewing kind of came out in the you know couple of days after the season ended. Um, he seemed like a guy that always was going to be a good choice if 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 that was what uh, or who they picked. And the reason for that is just because he he has a proven track record of just building a defense. I think through yes, his defensive does. line and knowing how to use the defense's best pieces to stop the run, which obviously is the big thing that they're one of the big things that they're really looking to to, to address on the defense this season so um, he was the most experienced of the group he's the oldest of the group I think he's got a nice uh, like kind of fiery edge to him that, that'll kind of help that room this year um, and he's just shown, shown over the years I mean he's I think he's three decades into his coaching career now in the pros and he's shown that he knows how to maximize a uh, D-line talent and and I think you know that's really good for Miles Garrett um, I think he'll be able to scheme up ways for him to even attack the quarterback even more. I think a lot of that is going to depend on, however, what they do at defensive tackle and who they're able to bring in because a big part of, of a Jim Schwartz defense is having stud defensive tackles. They've you know had four guys over the course of Schwartz's career, both as a defensive coordinator and as a head coach who were all pro defensive tackles. I, I don't know if you've read this stuff, but you know Albert Hainsworth, Dominic Sue, Fletcher Cox, Marcel Darius, all those guys pretty were good players very good and they were yeah. already very good before Schwartz really took over and I guess with Sue he drafted him but um and and Schwartz was able to really maximize the talents even more like all those guys had their all pro seasons only all pro seasons I believe when Schwartz was their coach so he knows how to make the most out of those guys that's what I think he's going to be able to do with Miles Garrett um now I think the big thing is getting him um some some of the tackles who can do that I, I don't think there's there's a anyone on the roster right now who is capable of that, obviously. Um, so I think it's going to be a busy uh, offseason for, for the front office as far as finding guys who are going to allow Jim Schwartz to do what he wants to do with this defense and obviously still building it around Miles Garrett. Um, but overall, I like it. I think this is a sign that, that, that they are ready to really improve that interior part of the defense because that's where Jim Schwartz has had a lot of his success as a coach. All right, let's get into it now. Let's go around the league and a little higher or lower presented by Keep It Fun Ohio from the Ohio Lottery who reminds you to know the risks before you gamble. Normally, we would look at some power rankings. We'd have a little fun with that. And we're trying to do a little bit. We're, we're thinking outside the box here. Poison. Playoff mode. And it was going to be you, me, and Bishop. Bishop, under the weather, feel better. Bootsy, stay away from your father when you're not feeling good. <laughs> Easier said than done, but that's where we are in life. Uh, we are ranking the remaining quarterbacks from worst to first heading into the divisional round. Uh, I, and I guess I guess How, we can go we can yeah. go every other one. Okay. Have you done this? Like is this what you've done on the show before? Because uh, what, what's have. the format here? Okay. I have. Nice. So and what we've done in the past was uh, it's like if we have three of us, okay. then there's three yeah. of us going okay. and, and ranking. So I got my we, rankings here, so I just That's fine. We <laughs> so if you do eight, I'll do number seven. Six, five, four, okay. three. So we're two. starting from from bottom to top. Basically, yes. Okay. Yes. Worst. Okay. 
Got you. Worst. We're starting so with first. Worst. I got you. So, so what do you got? All right. Number eight. Number eight um, I think it's Trevor Lawrence. And that may be a little bit of a surprise considering there's Daniel Jones, Brock Purdy also on this list. But I, I have Trevor Lawrence because, um, you know, he played really well in the second half, but he played about as bad as a quarterback could play in the first half with those four interceptions. And to me, that just can't be ignored when you're making a power rankings list like this. I think he's really talented. I wouldn't be surprised if he turns in a really good game uh, this weekend as well to bounce, could continue showing he bounced back from that. But there was only one quarterback who threw four interceptions uh, last weekend, and that was Trevor Lawrence. And to me, even though the Jags won, I still believe that makes him eight on this list of, of the QB power rankings. I would disagree with that. I would put Daniel Jones at number eight. As good a performance as he had against a dreadful Vikings team, a Vikings team, I don't know how many people actually gave them a realistic chance yeah. to win the game. I think everybody felt good that the Giants were going to somehow win that football game over the weekend. Um Congratulations. You, you did what you needed to do. I, I, I'm going to tell you that the dream probably comes to an end and you come back to earth uh, this Saturday against Philadelphia. Probably. The thing with Jones is that um, I, I'm, a big thing that I looked at with this list, as you can tell based on what I said with Trevor Lawrence, was... You, you did your homework, as I did, always. I, I, yeah, but I, I looked at you know turnovers because I think that's just so important and, yes. and, and being able to protect the ball, especially in the play. Obviously, it's an important thing in every game, but in the playoffs in particular, if you... If you are able to protect the football on offense, you are going to ha you should have a good chance to win. And I, I think the reason why I'm ranking Daniel Jones in front of Trevor Lawrence is because, yeah, he may not have blown up the stat sheet, um, but he also didn't throw an interception. And just looking at his, his work over the course of the season, he's got the lowest interception percentage of, of all the QBs. He, he leads the league, I guess, I think, in interception percentage, which is 1.1, um, only five picks. So that's why I think I'm putting Jones in front of Lawrence. I understand why... You may think you're, Lawrence you're fine. is fine. So but then Josh Allen should be like at the bottom of your list too, according to your thinking. Okay, uh, not, not quite. So fast, not my quite. Friends. We'll number get to Josh. Six. We'll get to Josh Allen eventually. How about that? What do you got at number six? <laughs> so at six, uh, I'm I'm gonna have Dak Prescott here. Um, so we're going in my list. I go Trevor Lawrence at eight, Daniel Jones at seven, Dak Prescott at six, and I, I have Dak here because. Um, I have okay. I'll, I'm going to keep going. I have Dak Prescott and then Brock Purdy because I I was comparing these two when I was putting this ranking together. Gotcha. Um, I have Brock Purdy in front of Dak because just look at the success that he's had. Obviously, with a Kyle Shanahan playbook, Kyle Shanahan's a genius. He's got top players at every skill position. He's got a, a, as much help as a quarterback could possibly ask for around him. Um, but all the stats still suggest that he's been a great QB. Um, he's protected the ball extremely well. I keep going back to that. Delivered it to the top players and and. Uh, his performance on, on Saturday was the best that he's had in, in the six or seven starts he's made with the Niners. So that's why I have him in front of Dak. Not that Dak played poorly, but before the playoffs, Dak had gone seven games with at least one interception. Um, he looked great last night, but before that, it was it was a little inconsistent, a little shaky, whereas that hasn't been the case with Brock Purdy. So I got Brock at five and Dak at six. And I know that's Maybe some people will think that's too high for Brock Purdy, but he hasn't lost a game yet as a starter in San Francisco. If I'm going confidence poll for these quarterbacks going into this weekend, my number five would be Jalen Hurts. Jalen, yeah. I would put Brock Purdy ahead because I just don't know if Jalen Hurts is fully recovered yet or not because he didn't look fully recovered yep. in week 18. He's played one game in the one. last month, and there's a lot. There's the whole thing of does having a bye, uh, a first-round bye, can that actually hurt a team? I think maybe in Hertz's case, it could help him as far Absolutely. as getting back from the injury. But you still also have to take in consideration that it was one more week 
that he did not play and did not sort of maybe get a, an opportunity to get his feet back under him. So that doesn't that also doesn't surprise me at all. I'm I Hertz is another guy I think that you could put in a lot of different spots on this list. I have him at three for what it's worth. So all right, what do you got? Uh, you, you have Hertz at number three. I have Allen at four. Josh Allen, fourth best quarterback in the playoffs this weekend. And I have him fourth because of how he looked last week, which what we were alluding to there. Um, he, he didn't do a good job, I think, of protecting the ball. He threw two picks, fumbled three times. It just looked like a very uh, uncharacteristic game for Josh Allen, although I know he's kind of struggled with turnovers a little bit this year. Um, and I just think that's risky. They it gave, it gave the Dolphins a chance. And if your quarterback is going to turn the ball over or lose the ball five times, normally that doesn't mean you win. So I think they got a little lucky against the Dolphins. Gerard said it best earlier. He goes, Josh Allen's always going to give you one or two chances. And by that one or two chances for the defense to make a play. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they, they gave the Dolphins every chance, really, to win that game. And if it wasn't for him playing you know, kind of out of his mind in some of those other moments of the game, then they would have lost. But here's the thing. They were playing the Dolphins, and, and, and every team they play from here going forward is going to be likely better than the Dolphins. And so that's why... Uh, All right, so who do you... Uh, final four. Yeah. So Go my, ahead. My final four, one, no surprise at all here. It's Pat Mahomes. Amen. Um, he should win MVP. He's been marvelous without Tyreek Hill. I don't. I, I think to some degree he still has, even hasn't gotten enough credit for how he's improved the, on the offense without having Tyreek Hill in it. Um, you know, led the league in passing yards. Chiefs would still be my Super Bowl pick. I, I don't think there's much of an argument to be made that he is the best quarterback left uh, of the was, bunch here. Was Burrow number two? Burrow's number two. Um, right. I like him over. I had Hurts at number three, and I just like Burrow over Hurts more because. Like uh, the reasons we talked about, he's actually played games in the last month. He's got more playoff, more Super Bowl experience, um, and he's just a better passer. And I think when you get into these playoff situations late in games, uh, the person who is the better passer always triumphs. It's not like all, over the years we've seen mobile quarterbacks in late in late playoff games be able to you know kind of carry their team to a win. And that's why I think I, I would take Joe Burrow uh, over Jalen Hurts and, and all the other guys on this list. And if he has another big week, Dak Prescott's going to crack that top four. Yeah, for sure. Another I, big week. Yeah, it, it's the the key with Dak. Like I said, is just just protecting the ball. I mean, before before yesterday, he had interceptions in his last seven games. Um, obviously, they've got some great great weapons on that Cowboys offense that I think could lead them to a long run. But um, there's just uh, too many other quarterbacks that are also have been playing really really well and have been a lot more consistent. And in my opinion, Brock Purdy's one of them. So. Yeah, I, I think this is going to be interesting. By the way, programming note, Connor and, and Paulus, I'll just take this for another minute and then we'll wrap up here because I can. That's what happens. I'm You're, the producer the gift and show. the host You can today. do whatever yeah. you want. I, I did not I did not wake up with this in mind today. So here we go. It's the gift show. We're kind of good. I did not have us uh, hiring a defensive coordinator today. Um, that's uh, potentially what we're looking at. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean it's Mahomes. Burrow Burrow didn't look great the other night. I feel like they really slowed down toward the end of the game. Like it wasn't But there is something to be said and, and we talked about I talked about this with Shook, but you know, like go look at the Dolphins Bills, um, you know, go look at the Bengals and Ravens. Like you play a team three times in a season, mm -hmm. they're gonna they, figure something they out. They know everything. Right. Like no team's gonna be able to just blow you're not gonna blow a team out. Yeah. And it's not like Burrow really made any mistakes in that game. There were a lot of drop passes. Jamar Chase had Boy. a few drops in that game. Yeah. Um, and it's also the, I mean, the Ravens defense, we knew 
was going to make it incredibly tough because that's what they've done on quarterbacks all season. And they might not have won every – well, they did win a ton of games when they were playing that easy part of the schedule. But um, they've just made it hard on QBs all season. They've made it hard on Burrow all season. Even in, in Week 18, they they limited what – I think the Bengals only scored 24 points in that game, which is what they had in this one too. So I think this could be this could yeah. be the, the worst game that Joe Burrow has as long as the, the Bengals are in the playoffs uh, in this postseason is what I'm saying. All right, uh, 30 seconds. Where's Tom Brady end up? A year from now, when camp when camp opens in eight months, I should you know, say not a year from now. A year from now, the season's over. It's interesting. It doesn't seem like he's probably going to retire. No. Uh, and and if you had asked me a month ago, the Niners would have been the easy bet, and now it's it's a lot more uncertain. So Vegas, I think it could be Vegas. Vegas could yeah, I, Vegas is a good one. I'm trying to run through the other scenarios in my head. Maybe the Jets make a play, which would be interesting because obviously they they were in the division that um, we tried to run back the Miami thing again. Yeah, my, well, I don't. I think Miami's. I think Miami's set tight with Tua, but I would say the top two teams is Jets. I don't know if you're set up with Tua. I don't know if Tua is Tua going to play ever again. That now that's a that's a bigger conversation. <laughs> you're darn right, boys. Al, appreciate it, my friend. As always, anything for you, Gibbs. No, 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 no. Anything for you, Mister Poison. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's going to wrap up a Tuesday edition of Cleveland Browns Daily. Thanks to Gerard Cherry. Thanks to Nick Shook. Thanks to Anthony Poizel, Connor Lawrence spinning the dials. Nick Paulus back at KNR. Bishop, feel better. You're back tomorrow, one way or the other, hopefully. This is Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet. Coming soon to Ohio, the next level's next on 850 ESPN Cleveland. You've been listening to Cleveland Browns Daily, a production of the Cleveland Browns and 850 ESPN Cleveland.